0: Welcome to On Scene First. I'm your host, Tracy Eldridge. With over 25 years in public safety, I am wicked excited and honored to bring you entertaining, educational, and empowering conversations with public safety difference makers who are harnessing the power of -of out-of-the-box thinking with the latest and greatest must-have technology tools and mental health resources to save lives on both sides of the call. Before we get started, a special thank you to our premier sponsor, Rapid SOS. As a trusted public safety data partner and the creators of the world's first emergency response data platform, RapidSOS is sharing critical data with first responders like myself to get us the information we need to save lives and property. To learn how you can become RapidSOS ready and better protect the ones you love, visit RapidSOS.com and tell them Tracy sent you. Now, on with the show. Welcome, friends. As usual, I'm wicked excited for today's guest. My guest today is Anne Camaro. Anne is the assistant Director of Operations for the Cambridge, Massachusetts 911 Center. I'm really excited to talk to Ann. We have very similar career paths. We run in very similar circles, and we have very similar passions for 911. In this episode, we're going to talk about... um, how Anne got to be where she is in her position. We're going to talk about the important role that she played in driving peer support here in Massachusetts, as well as the importance of understanding what this profession can do to our families. We're going to talk about the power of saying no. Both Anne and I have had to do this recently, so we want to talk a little bit about the importance of that. And then we are going to share some awesome information about the upcoming ABCO Atlantic Conference in October. Anne and I work together, um, putting together an amazing lineup of speakers. So do me a favor, welcome my guest today, Anne Camaro. Welcome, Anne. I'm so happy you're here. How are you,
1: my friend? I'm doing well. How are you?
0: I am fan-freaking-tastic. Today is a good day.
1: Well, thanks for having me on.
0: <laughs> I, um, you know, as you know, I'm wicked, wicked excited that you're here. Uh, a fellow Massachusetts person, so I won't need a translator for any of the things that I say. You know, so? <laughs> you, you, you know that I add ours where they don't belong. I take them away where they do, and when things get a little squirrely for us, we we add a h to things. So, so there's that. So, yeah, I'm super excited, and thank you so much. Uh, for joining me i know you're you're just as crazy your schedule is just as crazy as everybody else but um, I, I I have a few topics that I definitely want to talk to you about, and, and I'm really excited to do that. But before we jump into any type of topics, I want to get to know a little bit about you, and I want my listeners to get to know you. For those that don't know you, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you landed in 911? What did your career look like in 911, and where you are and what you're doing these days?
1: Sure thing. Um, So I started out in 911 in 2006, 2007. I had just graduated college with a criminal justice degree. Um, I was back home uh, with my parents and home meaning here in Mass. um, In a little, in a little big town called uh, Framingham, which was just now declared a city a few, few years back. And my mom, so a little bit about so let's start from the beginning. Um we my family moved to the US in 98 when I was 13 from Brazil. Oh, wow,
0: I didn't know that. Yes,
1: my we moved in we moved to Framingham and um the community in Framingham is very diverse. It's super diverse and really opened up a lot of doors for me when, you know, when we when we first moved here and learning English and all that stuff. Like there, it was it was a a good process. It was welcoming and it was embracing it wasn't a community that was closed off to immigration at all. So that's awesome. Um, when I graduated college, I, I graduated with a criminal justice degree, a double major in psychology because I wanted to be a police officer. I wanted to get into the service and I wanted to give back to the community that welcomed me, you know all those years earlier my mom was on my case I was working like a temp job at a big corporation just you know shuffling papers back and forth and my mom kind of got on my case and was like listen you have this degree you have this dream to give back to this community I just saw posting that Framingham police is looking for 911 dispatchers and they're actually looking for people who speak Portuguese so well,
0: might be a good that. opportunity
1: for you <laughs> <laughs> the rest of his, is history so that's how I started and I was the first hire that Framingham sent to the state now. On Dispatch Academy. Crazy. Um, Sent me to that academy in February of 2007. And that's where we met.
0: (laughs) It is where we met. So that was right about the time that I had started teaching for another training company. And it's funny because you brought that up recently. So you and I talk, we talk all the time. We are are really supportive of each other in our careers. We've had similar paths with similar things. And and I, I just remember in a moment where I was doubting myself, like I was I was just having a day. And of course, I reach out to, to my people and you were one of those people. And the text message you sent back was so extremely powerful. And you talked about when we met. And I didn't remember that until you said that. And, and there was something along the lines of firecracker red hair, which was a thing. Like my hair was... <laughs> Super red.
1: (laughs) It was. I so that was like a real big eye-opening experience, right? I had a corporate job. I didn't know anything about public safety. And sitting at that academy, and after going from class to class to class, sitting in your class was like wow. Like I I like her style. Like I like (laughs) how direct she is, and I like the spin that you put on things because everything up until that point was so serious. And so, um, not that your class wasn't serious. It was, it was EMD for God's sake. So right. serious. Um, but it's more of like, here's my experience and yes, everybody can do this. It's not, you know, you're not going to get sued every day. You're not going to, you know, have people die on you every day. Yes. Those things can happen and they might happen at one time or another, but, you just put such a spin on things and you had such a good energy. And I like, that's all I could remember. I was like, Oh my God, like if I can, you know, think of one thing to describe this lady is like, she's a red haired firecracker. And that's the memory I have of you. And, you know, meeting you again, you know, all those years later through, you know, the associations and everything. I think it was like, so amazing to have that memory and just be like, oh, she's still there. She's still the same person.
0: <laughs> yeah, and and I, and it was funny because sometimes we need to be reminded of who we used to be, right? And the passion. And you saw me go from being that really high energy, passionate, wanna educate folks, and yes, do it in a way where people are not gonna walk out and feel like they're gonna be sued. Like one of the slides I have in almost all of my classes is, don't be afraid of being sued. Be afraid of successfully being sued. Like Mm -hmm. there are so many things that, that we take for granted that we don't um, you know, there's tools in our toolbox that we don't use. And, and ultimately I want to give folks the tools to be able to do the job to the best of their ability. Like I've mentioned a million times, I don't want to continue to meet families like Denise Amberlee's family and Kyle Plush's family and Carrie's Hunt family. I love these people and they're in my life, but I want folks to walk out of my class feeling empowered to just do better. And there are times where we get knocked down and yeah for you to kind of use my words against me a couple of months ago, I was like, all right, touche, touche. And, and that meant a lot to me because all I needed to do was be reminded that I am passionate about what I do and I am, I can be successful in what I do. So I just want to personally thank you for, for bringing back those memories and, and, you know, you you've seen me go through so many different changes in this career. And I want to talk about some of those things that we've done in, in our careers, but first and foremost, your position, let's talk, let's talk a little bit about your position. So you were in Framingham, how long were you in Framingham? So
1: I was in Framingham for almost eight years. Um, and then I had an opportunity to go to Maynard, which is a much smaller town to civilianize their dispatch center they had police officers dispatching police and they had firefighters dispatching fire and they figured out that that model wasn't working they needed those you know people on the road right. and i was hired to civilianize their dispatch center
0: and those folks don't necessarily want to be in dispatch right oh, like no, that's no. you know there are times where it works and then there's times that it don't and i and i feel like i see it not work more than it does work because Firefighters want to be firefighters. They want to be putting the wet stuff on the red stuff. Police Mm -hmm. officers want to be, you know, helping the community and chasing down the bad guys. And so, to almost force them to do something that they they weren't necessarily trained to do or want to do is really challenging. So, I commend you for that. Doing
1: something that they weren't proficient at, right? Right. Like they're not. That's not their forte. Like their forte is uh, applied procedures, not answering nine one one calls. So, yeah. you know, it was a great opportunity. I learned so much. Um, but I also went from a, a, a center that was handling about, you know, nineteen thousand nine hundred one calls a year to a center that was handling 1900. Right. So it was a big change. And and once the center was up and running, it, it didn't take me long. It took me about six months to get the center up and running and my staff hired and trained and um, things were running smoothly, I finally said, you know what, I need, I need to continue to follow that dream. Because when I, so going back a little bit, going back to Framingham, um, when I decided to stay in 911 and not take the police exam, I I said, my ultimate goal is to be in charge of training at a large agency. So I'm going to stay in 911. This is what I want to do for a career. This is what I want to do. You know, this is what I want to retire from. But uh, the ultimate goal is to be in charge of training for for a large uh, now one center. One day, just you know, browsing, I mean, I think it was a Nina or Napco email. I saw the listing for Cambridge Now One. They were looking for an assistant director of training and administration. And I said, "Hmm, there's my dr- there's my dream job right there." And honestly, I did not have high expectations that I was going to get that job. I mean. I knew what I had to offer and, 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 you know, that's what I presented to the director and the, and the chiefs at the time. But I, I honestly didn't think I was going to get the job. Um, and my boss says all the time, she says, when you walked in with that binder, <laughs> you had me at the binder and that's awesome. um, yeah. So, um, so it worked out and I did, I had my dream job for the last, you know, four and a half years, almost five years. And just recently, our assistant director of operations, who was my counterpart, um, retired and, um, she had been here for 32 years. So it's, it's just amazing to me to see people retiring from this profession because that's what I aspire to see. And that's what I aspired to be. And, um, when she retired, we, um, did a little bit of a reorg and I have now been assigned to operations And, you know, uh, you know, it's not that I'm leaving my dream job. My dream job is still to head, but my dream has evolved. So that's, that's where we're at now.
0: (laughs) I mean, I think that's, that's the good thing, right? Is that all this stuff is not set in stone. Cause I'll tell you right now, I thought that I was going to be the chief dispatcher for the Rochester communication center until I was done with 911. Like that's what I, I, I truly believed in my heart of hearts. I too wanted to be a police officer. We have f- similar stories there, uh, but I realized if somebody wanted to pay me to talk, that's where I needed to be.
1: That that was me right there too.
0: <laughs> so to, you know, have in my mind, Oh yeah, I'm going to take the center. I'm going to do the best I can. And then there were other plans. And I think I truly believe that our stories are already written. Um, mm-hmm. We just have to stop stealing the pen because I've tried to do that a million times and and that kind of backfired. Uh, but you have been super supportive of you know bringing in new technologies bringing in mental health and peer support you've played a very significant role here in Massachusetts with peer support you know that is one of my biggest passions do you want to talk a little bit about the importance of peer support and you know what role you kind of played in in our peer support across the state sure
1: so about 6 months after i was hired here in cambridge I was having a conversation with the director and she said to me, and there's Cambridge has a really, really good peer support, critical incident team. The, the police department is very well served. The, the fire department's very well served. I I really want to do something for our staff because, yeah. you know, she thought there was an opportunity there to explore something else. So I started to do my research and uh, talk to a few people, you know, in the field and talk to some people out in California who actually are part of this batch peer support teams and Sism and uh, teams. And I said, you know what, this is actually doable. It's not something that costs us anything. It's really something that we can invest in our people and get them trained and get them to really support each other. I started a conversation with Cambridge, I mean with uh Boston, actually spoke with their assurance director. Um and uh, some of the dispatchers and also one of the sergeants who's the head, who used to be the head of the Boston Peer Support and, um, and that's how that whole thing started. So we had some meetings and we established the team, uh, the leader of the team, the, the coordinator was actually, just recently voted to be part of the uh, board I saw uh, the that. Board, that, which is, which is so great. Cool.
0: To have, um, so to have a, a telecommunicator have a seat at the table, like that's a big deal. And we know that it should have happened a long time ago, but when I saw that posted, I was, I was really excited to see that.
1: And, and, and I don't take, you know, any accolades for that because I feel like Tony was the moving force behind it. We were just yeah. the support. A few months later, we decided to join the police team um, and kind of, not that we left the Boston team, but we decided to join our police team um, in order to make it a more comprehensive um, team. We joined with several other departments. We are now working with the that that team, which is several different police departments and, and um, 911 centers that are working together in that team and actually moving, uh, In a different direction from what Boston was doing, but still supporting them. They know that if they need anything, they can call us. And we've needed them and we have called them. So we still have those doors are still open. We're just going in a different direction right now, but it's all it's all good. It's all amazingly good. Well,
0: any any resources that are there, and I'm glad that you brought that up because what I know to be true is when I first started with Rapid SOS back in like 2016. Whenever I would go to conferences, there wasn't a whole lot of conversations that were taking place. Like I was submitting my sessions about PTSD and mental health and wellness, and usually on the agenda at that time, it was just me, and then maybe a couple other people periodically. But what I see now is a huge shift. There is is such a huge shift, and there are so many people talking about it, and I am thrilled because it is a necessity, Many people know, or if you're just joining me, I left my center because of PTSD. I've had a huge struggle with it, but I live every day fighting to make sure that I don't let it get me. When we talk about, or when 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 I see people popping up and doing their own thing, I wanna be their biggest cheerleader because it's not just me that should be doing this. It's not just you that should be doing this. It's, it's not just Boston that should be doing this. I think sometimes we get in our own way though. And I want to talk about, you know, I, when, when you were reached, when, when you, when you called me out about the passion and the firecracker thing, it was, I was struggling to find my lane. I was struggling to find my place. I was struggling to put myself out there because other people were doing similar things. Um, but you and, you know, a couple of other of our dear friends really helped me see that All of the information is valuable and somebody might connect with me very differently than they connect with you or with somebody else that's doing something similar. So I applaud you for wanting to kind of take the reins and lead what would be best for your department. And a lot of people don't do that.
1: And I think one of the biggest eye openings for us was um, Jeremy, Damar, myself, Liz Belmonte, and uh, Adam, Tim, we were having these conversations about peer support and critical incident, and one day we had a conversation about what impact are we having on our families. Oh yeah, <laughs> what have we not really thought about? Because I feel like the PTSD, the anxiety, the weight, the weight gain, and all all those other topics had been addressed. Right? We have Dr. Yep. Lily with her amazing research and and you know, and I said, yes, there is all of that, but I wanted to look at it from a different lens. And I wanted to look at it from, from my children's perspective, from Liz's children's perspective, and, you know, kind of think about what is it that we are preventing ourselves from doing because of this job? What are we bringing home? Because it's very easy to say, let's leave work at work and home at home but we're human it, mm-hmm. our our lines are blurred all the time and and you know it's very very hard to to leave work at work and home at home so
0: 100%
1: when we did that family impact study i honestly did not think we were going to get first of all i didn't think we were going to get the response that we did we we got responses for from over 500 um, family members of nine one dispatchers That's all across amazing. the country, which That's was amazing. amazing. Yep. I mean, it's it's a tiny little bit, it's a tiny little you know speckle of uh, you know the the thousands and thousands of nine one dispatchers out there. But it was a good way to look and say, look at all these five hundred families and and what they're saying. And you know, my family participated, and and <laughs> it, it, it was just interesting to see and and having those conversations with them. And thinking about how much we change once we take this job, right? Mm-hmm. I I got, you know, my first job in, in Framingham, when I was 22 years old. I, I, you know, I was a tiny baby. I, I, I just I had so much. You had no
0: ex- life experience. No life yeah. experience.
1: And I had no idea what I was getting myself into. And today we have such a big a bigger understanding of what this job is about, of the effects of this job on you. And we're doing everybody a disservice if we're not talking about it yep. and exposing it. And and really, and it's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing that this, this job is going to give you PTSD. It's just that you know that that might happen and you have to know how to deal with it and how to come out of it. Yep.
0: I, I agree 100%. I remember when I was teaching EMD you know, way back when, and I taught a class, um, I think the class, it was a class in Andover and, um, there were a whole bunch of people from this, you know, across the state that, that were in the class. And there was this woman in the front row and she was eager and happy and had this infectious smile. And she was from one agency and, um, and her coworkers were behind her right so they were sitting in the back of the room cuz when you're new you're in the front row you want to you want to learn everything you want to observe everything and you're happy and and all that and then everybody else was in the back of the room and I could see the difference, right? You could see the, the folks that had been there for a while and been doing it. And they were kind of joking with her and making fun of her here and there about, oh, you're gonna change, you're gonna change. And I was like, please don't change. Like, please don't lose that fire and that passion that you have right now. Like, just keep it. How do we, how do we bottle that up and keep it? And uh, I saw her five years later in another class. Totally different person. She was in the back of the room with everybody else. She was cynical and sarcastic. And I saw the light leave her. And that made me super sad, because I I want people to hold on to the passion. And I think you're 100% right. I think we're in a place right now where we are getting better at making this a priority when the folks are coming in the door. I remember one of my interview questions, I, I spelled out this, like massive event, And I was like, okay, so you're working one day and this happens, and I list all these things. And it includes a 10-year-old not making it in a motor vehicle crash and them having to, you know, contact the parents to go to the hospital and all these different things. And the question at the end was, will you come back the next day? And they're like, well, yeah. But back then that was kind of the extent of what we used to show them yeah. We never said there are going to be changes. They're going to be changes to you. It might affect your family. It might affect your mental health. You might get to a place where you withdraw from your environment. Like I would rather be upfront and honest with folks about what the potential is so they can watch for those signs because it doesn't happen overnight.
1: Right? No, no. And, and, and. I feel like everybody goes through that change. It's not something that's isolated to me and you or that lady that you saw at that class. I think everybody goes through that change. It's important to give them the tools that they need or that they're going to need at some point and to remind them that the reason why they got into this job or, or the, the reasons why their flame was ignited in the first place, you know, it's it's. uh it's what got me out of my funk. It was, you know, it's what got me out of the, well, uh, the negativity and the, the toxic environment that I was creating for myself yeah. and, and for my family. So it's very important to talk about these things. And here in Cambridge, we're actually talking to our new hires from day one about mental health and, and the importance of taking care of themselves and and the changes they might start to see on their own behaviors. Um, things that they need to look out for and things that they should be aware that are happening and they might not have control over it.
0: Well, and I think when you lose that zest kind of for life and all of the things, like I always joke that I, the majority of my life, I was Julie McCoy, the cruise director. And yes, I just dated myself. Like I was the lady on the love boat that planned all the activities, had all the fun, did all the things. And people around me started seeing me withdrawing from my life. It's like, oh, are we hanging out Friday? No, nah, I'm not really, you know, no, nah, not feeling it this week. And then one week turns into two weeks, turns into a month, turns into six months. And then I've lost friends because I, I pulled myself out of, Where my happy place was because I just couldn't tolerate, I couldn't tolerate noises. I couldn't tolerate too many people talking at a time. And, you know, there were just things that were just not jiving. For folks that have not listened to episode two of my podcast, go back and listen to my interview with my daughter, Lauren. You know, she had a very sheltered life. We've talked about this before. Sometimes she gets really frustrated with me because I don't allow her to do the things that all her friends get to do. And it's really hard for her to understand, like, no, 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 you don't understand. I know what's going to happen. I, I can see what's going to happen. And then she has to fight back to me and be like, mom, just because it happened to somebody else doesn't mean it's going to happen to me. And there has to be this balance, right? right. Where-
1: but that's what we talk about all the time. It's like the hypervigilance and the hypersensitivity, right? I I went through the same thing with my kids. I would not allow my kids to have play dates. Yep. Um, I would go with them. Like if, if they really wanted to have a play date, I would go with them and sit there in these people's houses and and actually watch my children (laughs) play with their kids. And I felt bad today. I'm, I'm much better about it. I allow, you know, there's a very small circle of people that I allow my children to go to their houses and play by themselves, but there is a small, a small round, you know, circle of people that I allow. Where before it was like, no, I don't trust anybody. I don't, you know, don't allow them to do these things because I know what happens. Right. I see the bad and I see the ugly and I don't like it. I don't want that for you. And it's not that
0: we want, it's not that we want to deprive our kids from you know, a a wonderful life. It's just, I have, I have a mug that my daughter gave me for Christmas one year. And she said, before you open this, I just, I have, I have to say like, I don't want you to take it wrong. And I was like, oh boy, what, what is it? And the mug says, Mrs. Always right. And, and she says, mom, like, seriously, you are always right. Like, no matter what you tell me, you you know, you'll let me make my own decision sometimes, but you're right. You're always right. And I'm like, I don't want to be right. I don't want to be right. Like, I don't want to be right that something bad happened or is going to happen, you know? Yeah. And so- if you think
1: about it, like you, just like me started your career so early mm-hmm. before you had that life experience before you had these, um, I don't know, these outside experiences. Right. Yeah. And, and that was the, the same thing with me. Like my husband, um, we got married six months after I got my job at the PD. So, um, he saw so much change with me because I was a nice person. I was a nice, you know, well-mannered child. And, <laughs> you know, all of a sudden I'm dropping F-bombs and I don't want to <laughs> hang out with anybody. What, is and something I, wrong
0: with that? <laughs> I, no, I don't
1: see anything wrong with that anymore. Um, but I think they did. My parents also, you know, my, my parents very well, educated and, and wanted us to be those children that they raised. And, and my mom says, you know, not, not as much today where, you know, I, I'm, I say I'm a dispatcher in recovery. <laughs>
0: yep. Yep. I'm a recovery PSAP director. 100%. Um,
1: even though I'm still kind of in the mix of everything. And especially now with being in charge of operations, I'm kind of back in the grind, but um, I'm trying to pull myself from those bad behaviors and from those things that, people saw change in me yeah and and it wasn't good change and they saw some of the light go out from that flame that initial flame that i had of giving back to my community and being a part of this greater bigger beautiful thing and and i just you know i i got beaten down a little bit and it kind of wore me down but it it took me and i and i say to people it sometimes it just takes knowing when it's time to move on Yep. Um, and whether it's moving on to a different agency or, or to the private sector. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, it, it's important for you to know when it's time to move on. And, and you know, I, I saw myself going down a path that if I had stayed, I'd probably would have left this profession forever and ever. And I just, I could not do it yet.
0: Well, and I think in my mind, like I said, I was going to be at the Rochester Communication Center forever. One, because it was convenient, right? Like literally two miles from my house. I got to work with my husband, both good, bad, and indifferent. Um, He was the head of the highway department. I was familiar with everybody. I was involved in everything. I was, you know, I'm a member of the fire department. Like I was just planted. My feet were planted in the middle of this community. And I gave so much of it. And when I saw the moment that the people that you know, should be supporting me really could care less about what I give to this community. Like it was a big slap in the face that I had given so much that I had taken away from my family so much that I lost myself in the identity. I remember going to Acton, which is where we met that first time. I remember going when I left the center in December of 16, in February of 17, I went to Acton for the first Mass Communication Supervisors Association meeting. And I remember walking in that room feeling awkward and weird and uncomfortable and panicky and anxious, and I couldn't figure out why. These were people that I had been with for years and years and that we supported each other and were comfortable with each other and got each other through a lot. And they saw me at my worst, right? Why am I freaking out when I walked in there? And then it clicked. I walked over to the table and I went to sign in and I signed in and I I wrote Tracy Eldridge and it said company or agency and I put rapid SOS. And then I wrote the email T Eldridge at and, and it was a rapid SOS email and I lost it. I had a panic attack. I started shaking, I started crying and I realized I was no longer Tracy Eldridge, chief dispatcher of the Rochester Communication Center. She was gone. And I had to, it was almost like I had to grieve her and that person that I used to be, because now it's like, she doesn't exist anymore. And I I looked at those things as all that work that I did and, you know, it's gone, it's gone, it's gone, but it's not, it's, it's building the foundation for who I'm meant to be and who I'm supposed to be. And yep. a couple of weeks ago, um, I did a presentation, I did my PTSD presentation in Missouri um, at their their conference and there was a woman in the second row and I could see that I was hitting a lot with her she was she was I could see the emotion on her face and and she came up to me on one of the breaks and she said, how do you know that it's time to go And I said when you ask the question, you know it's if you're looking for the sign that's
1: that's the sign right No yep. no it's true and it's it's interesting because you, You try to fight it because Mm -hmm. I did. I mean, that was my community. That was the community I wanted to stay in and the community that I wanted to see growth and I wanted to make it better. And I wanted, but I didn't, I couldn't. Yeah. There I was in quote, unquote, and Jeremy is probably going to make me put another dollar in his swear jar, um, (laughs) just the dispatcher. Um, In order for me to grow, I had to leave. And it, that, that, that leaving that it's painful, but once you do it the first time, the second time it gets easier.
0: Oh yeah. <laughs> Cause when I went to rapid SOS, I remember I had to go to Reinhardt, who was my boss at the time, Reinhard Eckel. and Michael, the CEO, I was the first person on the public safety team. I'm in this new role. I have no idea what I'm doing. Like literally I, 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 I had to Google how to have a Google meet because I knew nothing about Google Meets. And I felt lost, I felt, I left my center where I felt like I was at the top of my game and I was so scared and I didn't know what to expect. I went from literally putting out fires every 30 seconds to staring at my email, not knowing what to do, building building something from nothing. And you've done that in a couple of places too, right? So building something from nothing. When I look back on that, it wasn't long until I started to feel comfortable. And then fast forward, I come to this place where I'm like, you know what? I want to start my own company. I realized a lot about myself that I'm very people-driven. I know, surprising. But in a in a technology company, things are very task and results-driven. And I was finding that, for me, was not filling the cup that I needed to fill. And one of my friends, Mike Boucher, one of my best friends, you know, I mentioned that I, I wanted to leave and I wanted to start the company. And he's like, so what are you waiting for? You did it before, do it again. And our goal isn't to get people, like this conversation isn't to get people to leave the 91 center. We want good people to stay in good places. But if there's a place for you that's not a good fit, you might have to ask yourself, how am I affecting my family? Because I remember coming home yelling yeah. at my kids that didn't deserve it. And my husband, mm-hmm. they didn't, they didn't deserve it, right? So then we take on so many different roles because we love the profession. And I want to talk to you about something that you and I have done recently that I want other people to know that <laughs> it's okay to do. Recently, um, well, <laughs> recently, like forever. Like forever. We, we take on a lot, right? We take on a lot. Why? Because we know we can do things. We know we can add value p- places, we know that we're going to be an asset and a value to this project, that project, that project, this project. And then we find ourselves really overwhelmed, stressing out, spreading ourselves so very thin that the very thing we wanted to do, we weren't capable of doing. Do you want to talk yes. a little bit about what we've done, both of us recently?
1: Yeah. So recently with, you know, the reorg in my, in my current, uh position and with covid and the kids and and life I, I feel like i was finally able to take a step back and and to say no you know for the first time i nine. just got goosebumps <laughs> it was it was so hard um you know i was chairing a couple of commun- committees uh for different associations and um just working really hard to, because that's what I want. I want to better the profession. I want to provide training. I want people to be better, feel better, and and actually like the job that they're doing. Yep. Um, but I was doing it at the cost of other things. And recently I wrote a really, really hard email to um, a couple of association presidents resigning from, you know, being committee chair for a couple of things. And one was the training committee that I love and 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 you know my my little baby um that i took and and kind of ran with. Um, but i also didn't want to see it as a failure. I wanted to see it as me giving other people opportunities to step up and to do the same work that i was doing. yeah um, I'm trying to do the same thing at work. i'm trying to delegate more. i'm trying to, have my dispatchers do those things that I enjoy doing um, because I want them to enjoy doing those things as well. I want them to uh, teach classes. I want them to enjoy speaking to our community partners, to our public safety partners. I want them to do the initial trainings with our, um, our police officers, our firefighters. I want them to be that face of our department I think I've, you know, not that I've paid my dues, but I think I've done it enough now where I can say, you know, it's time to allow somebody else to do it so that it doesn't cost me anything else um, that I really like. And, and also for my own sanity, I, I yeah. think we all, we take on so much because of that passion, but we we end up giving up a lot as well. So yeah. I but the I, power of saying no, it's been It's been empowering.
0: (laughs) I I, I see that as being a session in our future.
1: Mm -hmm. The power Mm -hmm. of
0: saying no. So I did the same recently, and and it was it was ironic because you and I were like I was I was with you on on the AVCO training committee. And uh, why 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 wouldn't I be? Right, because training is a big passion of mine and I have a lot to contribute in that area. I was also a part of the APCO CAC, the Commercial Advisory Council for the last four years. And um what I found was when I started my own company, had a rocky start in the beginning, had a lot of things hit me at one time that that were were not conducive to me launching this thing uh, but once I came out from from the fog, I I said, all right, I gotta do this thing and I gotta I gotta hit the ground running and then before I knew it I I was working from 6 30 7 30 in the morning till midnight and you know, a lot of people say well that's what happens when you when you start your own company like you know you got to put a lot of hours in 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 the beginning and and i had to really step back and evaluate how many places am i volunteering time that i can be putting towards the things that i have to be doing versus the things that i want to be doing and i think that's that's huge and i had to step back and as soon as you wrote the the message (laughs) about coming off of the training committee. I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, I'm literally in the process of writing that same email. And I didn't want people to think like, oh, there's like, you know, everybody's jumping ship. But you and I were both in a very similar place where we're taking on these new, awesome responsibilities. And we really have to um, be careful about how many places in the candle are we burning? I remember seeing a meme one time that, you know, it's like, burning the candle at both ends, um, which is a visual, right? So you can see a candle and you can see it burning at both ends, but I literally felt like there were like four other places in the candle that had wicks coming out. And, and before I knew it, that it, I wasn't going to be able to sustain that. So I think it, I think it's a huge topic that we also need to get better at is, is telling people, yes, it is good to get involved with things. And I want to see new folks come up and get involved but what I also want to see is others supporting those new folks that are getting involved. Cause I think sometimes we get set in our ways or people get set in their ways on how things have been done for so long that it's nice to have new blood sometimes to go, Hey, I know you've been doing it like this for so long, but have you thought about doing this? And it's like, Oh, wait a minute. That's actually a
1: pretty good idea. Right? Yeah. It's, yeah. T- it's time. And that's what I don't want to do. I don't want to be that one person that's always, you know, involved in everything and kind of set in my own ways. Um, I do have a couple of, you know, signs in my office that say, you know, the 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 word the most dangerous phrase in the language is we've always done it this way. And yeah, and I, you know, I I take that to heart. And um, my my staff here knows that that is me to a T. I am constantly challenging the status quo. I constantly want them to push themselves a little harder. I want them to have their passion back. I want them to do things that they enjoy doing. And from my own experience, the things that I enjoyed doing were these outward things. Yes. I love taking calls and I love this And honestly, they think I'm completely nuts when I go into the room and I start taking calls and I'm like, yay, I'm so excited. They're like, Oh my God. she's crazy. But, <laughs> but you
0: have to too, you know, and I'm going to go back. So our friend Jeremy, when I say this, it, this, I'm going to say it very, I'm going to say it same as you, but different than you. My favorite job ever in my entire life was being just a dispatcher. And what I mean by that, before people get all squirrely and up in arms, what I mean by that is no QA, no hiring, no firing, no discipline, no scheduling, just putting on the headset and telling people where to go and Mm -hmm. and walking away from the mic and not having to worry about anything else. So when I refer to just a dispatcher, like that, uh, and I don't even think I could do the job anymore. Like I would like to think that I could, but I know, I know that I can't. So I, I, I give you bad props that you can go sit down in that center and put a headset on and still feel confident enough that you can do that. And that's really important for your role.
1: It is. It's important to show them that I, that passion is still there. The love yeah. for nine one one is still there. The love for my radio is still there. Um, the crazy tacky, you know, (laughs) it's still there. It's just in a different role right now, but uh, you know, the dispatcher, the, the, and Camaro, the dispatcher is still there. Um, you know, I, I get calls all the time from, you know, friends that I made along the way and people that I met when I was in Framingham and some of the officers that I used to work with. And they're like, Oh my God, we, I, I say that the biggest compliment a dispatcher can ever receive is, um, what I received from one of my, one of my officers, uh, not, not too long ago, we actually met uh, after a coworker's funeral. Mm -hmm. And he said, he sent me a text message and he said, you know, I have never felt more safe than when I heard your voice on the radio. When I knew you were on the main channel, when I knew you were on the police channel, I knew I was going to go back home. And, and that is huge that just i cried i cried reading that message i i was just like uh, whoa like you haven't seen me in probably six years and you know that feeling that was still there and and that really warmed my heart i was like you know this battery is still there (laughs)
0: <laughs> yes. Yes. And that is, that is the highest compliment because they, especially these days, right. They don't, they don't feel safe out there, nor should, should they. And I have, I have a similar relationship with one of my detectives. He'll text me, you know, all the time, sometimes just periodically. And he's like, it's just not the same. It's, it's not the same without you here. And, you know, I, I feel like we both have the ability to contribute in different ways we're able, we're successful in doing that, but I also think it is important for folks to hear, you know, what we had to say today, you know, one about family and two about the power of, of saying, no, you can, mm-hmm. you can be a part of something right now and then finish whatever that is up and then take on another responsibility. Um, but we as as a profession need to get better at not burning ourselves out and knowing Agreed. that healthy that healthy balance.
1: Exactly, and and knowing when it's time to move on. I think yeah. that was something that I just you know I wish people knew uh, once they start being bad to themselves, once this job is being toxic to them, once this is no longer fulfilling their ultimate goal yeah knowing when it's time to go and knowing and some, when it's time to say no
0: yeah and sometimes it's even as as simple as taking a break right like yes. i i've known telecommunicators to to take a break and be like all right i'm i'm going to go be a walmart greeter cuz i just need a place where i can you know not have the worries and the fears and you know, just disconnect from that public safety space. But what I also know is some of my friends who have left the profession um, that have gone into other types of work struggle because, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm an adrenaline junkie. I am truly an adrenaline junkie. I know that. I learned that very early on. I have ADHD. Adrenaline and ADHD go hand in hand. So when I'm in the 911 center, it fuels my fire. When I'm outside, and things aren't moving quickly and, and I have yep. to sit down and focus. Th- that's where the challenge is for me, mm-hmm. right? So that's why I need people like you, like you and I, <laughs> we're doing the whole, the whole conference training thing for the Avco Atlantic Conference, right? So nice segue exactly. into, into wrapping up and share some, some awesome information about that conference. But what I've learned to do is seek people that are going to support where. I'm not well in something and I'm going to support where they're not well in something and it's going to create an awesome team versus thinking I can do it all.
1: Agreed. Definitely agreed.
0: Right? So Mm -hmm. as we wrap up, and um, I do want to point out that in October, October 25th to the 27th, you and I have worked really hard to put together an amazing lineup of speakers for the apco atlantic conference so go to the apco atlantic website get the information there our speakers are going to start being posted up there at minimum we know that hank hunt is going to be our opening uh super session speaker nathan lee and tanya lee are going to have another super session that's going to uh, be on the last day and then i'm going to be speaking with jill and ron plush um, lots of amazing topics. We have three super sessions, a whole bunch of one hour sessions. There's going to be some, something for everybody there. And I will publicly thank you again for being that right hand for me and helping me in the places where I struggle. You have been a super big help there. And, and I just want to say, thank you so much for joining me on my podcast. I knew you had to be here and I was like, let's get it done. Cause we have lots of important stuff to say.
1: Well, thanks for having me. And as Tracy said, please check out our um, amazing program, lots of new faces this year. So really looking forward to it.
0: And it's in person.
1: Exactly.
0: We get to see people and I'm so excited. All Mm -hmm. right, and my friend, good luck in your new position. I know you're gonna do amazing things, my friend.
1: Thanks, friend. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening.
0: Make sure you join us next time for another episode of entertaining, educational, and empowering interviews with public safety difference makers. Please like and follow me on social media at On Scene First with Tracy Eldridge so you too can keep up with my shenanigans. Thank you, heroes. From the bottom of my blessed heart, stay safe, stay strong, and stay here. We need you. For more information on RapidSOS, our premier sponsor, and how you can get connected to the world's first emergency response data platform and better prepare and protect your family and community, visit RapidSOS.com today.